from Revenue Rhino. I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. Welcome to the Lifelong Customer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have David from Haley Marketing. David, it's so nice to have you on. Thanks, Brad. I'm really uh, glad to be here today. Absolutely. I'm really excited. David, can you tell me a bit about who you are as well as your company and what you guys are doing? Sure. Happy to share. As for me, I don't know if I've got all that interesting of a story, but I've been the owner of a, a marketing company for the past seven plus years now. It was actually a business that was grown out of my parents' business, and they were in the temporary staffing industry as entrepreneurs for most of their career. That kind of make the segue to Haley Marketing. So in 1993, million years ago, helped step into my parents' business and bring some marketing practices into an organization that was very old school sales. Meaning if you want more closed business, you make more cold calls. And then we learned to process a guy by the name of Jim Cecil. He taught something he referred to as nurture marketing and thought it would just be perfect in my parents' business. So we started implementing it in their business. And what do you know, it worked. And I was even able to convince my dad that uh, marketing actually has a role in an old school sales organization. In 1996, we spun that off. And uh, my wife and I, and she's my co-CEO, we started this business called Haley Marketing. Um, we focused on the staffing industry. We're vertically focused. And uh, 27 years later, we now have a team of about 80 people operating in uh, I think at any given hour of the day, we're in four or five different time zones, 11 U.S. states plus the Philippines, doing just about all things marketing for companies that provide temporary staffing and executive recruiting services. I love it. It's awesome. Awesome story, by the way, too. And <laughs> I, I love the fact you grew out of that. And then you've been around for nearly 30 years. That's a testament. Just, it's an amazing feat. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, and there were there were lots of inflection points. There was a day back in 1998 where we literally had to let everybody on the team go because we had poisoned our own staff and it, unintentionally, but we realized we had made some really bad hiring process decisions and we were putting people who were really awesome people, but it was like square pegs in round holes. They were in jobs that they didn't like doing or they weren't qualified to do. So we had to start over. And then in 2001, there was a point the economy turned and it was our first time facing a real recession. And we lost two thirds of our clients in a six month period. And we're like, how are we going to survive? And then we got better at figuring those things out. We got better at figuring out how to manage and how to lead and how to grow. And between 2009 and today, we have grown 15 times the size we were back in 2008. I love that. But yeah, I want to dive more into that. The last 30 years has been the dot-com bubble. There's been a recession of 2008, all that. How do you survive as a company? What are some things you think about and what are some strategies for those out there? We're in one of those weird unknown periods of time, the economy. Yeah. What are you thinking about? This is going to sound so basic, but really getting close to your customers and knowing what they need. So as an example, in 2001, when we started our business, we were the, the Henry Ford of marketing, which you may recall when people asked him what color cars they could have, he, could, he would say any color you want as long as you want black. So when we did marketing, when we implemented the Jim Cecil nurture marketing process, that's all we sold 
from 1996 until about 2003, almost just, just before that. And so we had this one process, we would license our market methodology to a company in a specific geographic market. But when we lost that geographic market, it wasn't like we had somebody just sitting there waiting to buy it. And so we listened to our customers and what they said is we love your process, but in tough economic times, we can't afford it. So we said, okay, if we took our product and we sliced and diced it and we literally broke it into pieces and then we sold all of the pieces independently. So now we could have multiple customers in every geographic market at a lower price point. It lowered our risk, it lowered their risk and our number of customers skyrocketed back up. So the first lesson was really get close to our customers. In 2009, that was the great recession. If companies in, in our target industry, the staffing industry felt it as bad, if not worse than most industries, except for maybe banking and other financial services. And we got close to them again and they, they needed ways to sell. And what we did, I remember it was February of 2009, is we said, we're gonna take products and bundle them together into a solution around selling. So you could buy this direct marketing program and you could buy this email marketing program. And if we package them together, we could give the buyer a great price. And that bundling, February of 2009 was the first time we did a bundle. It was also became our record new sales from day one to the middle of the Great Recession. We hit a record because we gave people what they wanted, which was a solution to their selling problem at a price point they liked. Fast forward to today, we've seen a lot of our clients are down and really the key to our success is having a very big client base. So most marketing agencies will have 20, 40 clients. They love accounts that do a lot of business with them. Not that we're not against accounts that do a lot of business with us, but we have 1400 accounts. And the average relationship is fairly small, but it also means that our risk is really diversified. So we can focus on the clients that are investing in growth to drive new revenue right now. And the clients that are scaling back, they don't hurt us as badly as if we only had 20 clients you know, and a few key accounts scaled back. Yeah, absolutely. That's very interesting. But I think one of the things out there that a lot of companies are probably facing is just overall demand for whatever product or service they have is down. So if you're in real estate, I think out there, you're probably thinking you're in that spot now, or maybe the recruiting industry or different industries. How do you handle that when it comes to a, a marketing perspective, a sales perspective? Yeah, I, I, Brad, I remember a, a client of ours a long time ago saying, we love working with you guys because you really help us grow, but marketing can't create demand. And that, that really stuck with me. And I'm like, I guess you can't change the macroeconomic trends, but we always told our team, like, we're a small business and we don't need the economy to be good to win. We need to find enough new clients to hit our goals or enough clients that are going to want to grow, that are going to invest in marketing. So now it becomes a matter of how do we segment the market to find the companies that are willing to invest? And it may be companies of a certain size or a certain specialty we have to get even more focused to find opportunities. When demand is down for our clients, we will very often deal with them saying, where are opportunities that you can drive growth? And right now for our clients, it's not that there's a specific vertical market that's great for staffing. Although if you're in IT and anything related to AI, yeah, people are hiring like crazy. But most of our clients place people who work in warehouses and they place people 
who work in manufacturing. And so demand is down, the number of people being hired is down. So what we're talking to our clients about is you have to change the message. So when business was great, you could go out and say, here's why I'm better at delivering talent. Here's why my company is better than the competition. And if you could prove value in being better, you'd get more sales. When the demand is down, we have to prove to the buyer, there's a reason to talk to me. You use real estate. Okay, right now it's so expensive because interest rates are out of sight. Okay, but what markets are still growing? What types of people are still looking for real estate? What types of people may be downsizing or changing? And that where what's going to drive demand? And if I'm in real estate, how do I specialize in the unique problems of that segment of the audience? Because if I can do that, again, I don't, I'm not going to change the market trends, but I can probably find more than enough business to grow my company. Yeah, I love that. I think that's a good highlight. There's a difference between the overall economy and your company and your opportunity, even though demand might be down, you don't have to go sell every single customer out no. there in the world to win. We, we always told our team and we've repeated it this year and, and we repeated it in 2020 and 2009 is that uh, something my dad taught me, which is to, when you hear everywhere that it's a recession or a downturn, you just say, we choose not to participate in this recession. And it, it sounds silly, but all of a sudden the people on the team are seeing opportunities instead of they're watching the news or they're flipping through social media and they're seeing negative story and it becomes ingrained in their mind is I can't win. But if you, you flip the script and they're saying, we choose not to participate, then they start saying, well, where can I help my customers? What can I do for them? How can I help them survive? Because it's not just us. All of our customers can also choose not to participate. We're not serving Fortune 100 size companies where, yeah, they're going to be impacted by the overall market. We're serving the small to mid-sized business client where there's always opportunity if you're willing to look hard enough. Absolutely. Is there anything that's working particularly well from a marketing perspective right now? Is, is it just social media ads, newsletters, like any sort of tactics that you see like particularly working well? I wouldn't pick any one thing and say that one thing is really working for our clients by itself. So I think what our clients are having the most success with is when they're integrating their marketing so that what the sales team is doing is supported by some sort of direct marketing. So it's very targeted and strategic outreach. They know exactly what types of businesses to go after and they have a structured process and they're using multiple channels of communication. And then that outreach is supported by the digital marketing so that they are being seen on social media and they are being seen with paid advertising and they're optimizing their website around something they want to be known for. So some area, and, and I, I'm almost afraid to say this out loud, but I'll say this thought leadership or we're calling it signature content. That's something that they want associated with their brand that they can share on social, that they can optimize, that they can promote, but then it leads into the conversations that the sales team is having. So everything ties nicely together. So I think that combination right now is the best at helping our clients to gain more appointments. And then the thing that is definitely working is changing this, the script. And I just mentioned it. You have to change your messaging to match what matters to your clients. They just wrote a, a newsletter article and the title was called Sell Bandages to a Bleeding Man. And that, that's essentially what it's all about is I need to figure out where my client is bleeding right now and how do I position my product or service 
as the bandage because that's the only reason they want to talk to me. Absolutely. Yeah, I know from our perspective, we've sold different services at different times. And when it's a bandages to a bleeding person situation, they're following up with you. They're asking for updates. They want to do this as fast yeah. as possible. When it isn't, you're like pinging them every week and it's delayed another month. <laughs> yeah, and, and even for our sales team, Brad, like I'm telling them that they're having a lot of people stall on making buying decisions. So they're not saying no. In fact, quite the opposite. They're saying yes, but not quite yet. And what we're working with our sales team is, okay, are we reinforcing how what we're selling matches both their goals, but more importantly, where they're struggling right now? Because if they see what we're selling as a solution to where they're struggling, every day they wait, they're falling further behind. So it's actually, it's not like they're saving money by not making the investment. They're actually costing themselves money by not making the investment. And we're working with our sales team on how to make sure we get that message through once people are deep into the sales funnel and they're just about ready to sign on the dotted line, but something's holding them back. We got to push them over the emotional goal line to get the uh, contract back. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. It's the worst when it's like not a no and it's not a yes in this yeah. the way. <laughs> Maybe is the killer of companies. Yeah, absolutely. If you could, if you wish you would have known like one thing early on in your career and in your journey of being a marketer, what would that be? Wow. So many that I would give there. Probably the thing that if it was early on that I wish I knew the most was the power of building trust for us. We're in, we're in a vertical market, man. When I say building trust for us, it's in terms of conferences and being a supporter of the industry. So I'll go back to when we first started in business, we, the way we did our own marketing was every month we would do direct mail. It was 1996. So we didn't have a lot of options about how we marketed every month. We would do direct mail and we would send out a letter and a piece of useful content. And that led into doing our own email newsletter and to doing webinars. And today we have podcasts with multiple shows. We do webinars, but probably the biggest thing that it took us a long time to get involved with was supporting the industry we work in and mm. giving away tons of resources to the industry. And in 2009, when the great recession happened, we made the decision to double down on the amount of free stuff we gave away. We were teaching people how to do everything we did at no charge. We were doing it via webinars. We, we actually went to doing webinars twice a month, which was nobody was doing webinars in 2009. Very few companies were in here. We were doing twice a month and literally showing people behind the scenes. This is how we do everything. And I had people reach out to me in 2010 and 11 and 12 saying, we didn't buy from you then because we were really hurting. We couldn't, but we listened to your advice. And the only reason we got through is because you gave away such good information. And now that they could afford it, they came back to us. So I wish I had known that in 1996, because we really didn't get actively involved in industry associations until probably almost eight to 10 years in business. So we lost a lot of years of opportunity trying to just go one-to-one -one direct and not really seeing the power of, we call it OPS, other people's stages, but the power of leveraging somebody else's audience. I love that. So any remaining words of wisdom as we're wrapping up the episode today? I think the remaining words of wisdom is, I'm gonna give you two. One, and this is gonna be so obvious for marketers, but it's to be bold and to be willing to do things your competitors aren't doing 
Um, one of the advantages we had at starting a marketing company is we didn't grow up in the ad agency world. So my wife didn't, I didn't. We knew nothing about how agencies worked. And that was a huge asset to us because we did things that from agency standards were stupid. But we didn't know they were stupid. And so we found ways to make things work in our own way. And that was really important to our growth is finding that own path because by focusing on small businesses and being happy with lots of customers and small relationships, we were able to build a very sustainable, actually pretty fast growing business where nobody else was competing. So that be willing to, to be bold and, and do something different. That is one very important lesson. I think I, I had another one and I got into my be bold and I completely slipped my mind. What lesson number two was, oh, I think the, the other one is, it's just the power of persistence. So if you've ever read Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, you probably understand the, the power of having a really fixed mindset of what you're trying to accomplish and having persistence. Like nothing's a failure. It's just like Thomas Edison. It's one more way not to make a light bulb. You'll figure it out if you keep stick, stick with it. And we found that over and over again, that just that power of persistence, if you don't give up, you will, you may go through 999 ways not to make something happen. But once you find the one, it is so powerful and you can just keep repeating it and build off of it. So those are my two I love final it. thoughts. On that note, David, it's been amazing to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining today. Thanks, Brad. My pleasure. Absolutely.